We're working our way through the latter chapters of Romans. The first 11 chapters tell us how to think or to believe or orthodoxy. The last chapters tell us how to act, how to behave, orthopraxy. And in Romans chapter 13, it has gone from how to conduct ourselves within the church to how to conduct ourselves within the state and then it turns to our relationships between ourselves and our fellow man. If you've been around hope for a while, maybe even not a, a while, the question has occurred to you sometime in the course of your being here. You make a lot about God's promises and his commitments. And what's occurred to you, the question that you've asked, either out loud or not out loud, what about commandments? Are we free to do whatever we want to do? What about obedience? What is that commandment? And that's where Paul directs our focus this morning. It says, Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. One of the things we have to do when we talk about obedience is to be clear about the nature of obedience. What obedience does God require and command of us? And once we have acquired that clarity, then we can go on to figure out, okay, how do we pull that off? And in the text, it's clear that um, God wants us to love our fellow man fellow man. And what we'll see is not just within comfortable circles where people are easy to love, like Patriots fans with Patriots fans or Broncos fans with, well, they probably do have some fans, I imagine. <laughs> uh -oh. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. If he loves his fellow man, let's fulfill the law. Um, when we think of the commandments, adultery, check. Murder, check. Stealing, check. Some of you, you hear those things. Don't commit adultery, check. Haven't done it, Mike. Don't murder, check. Haven't done it. Don't steal, check. Haven't done it. Love. You can't really put a check beside love. It's something that you do, but you can never say it's done. And that seems to be Paul's sense here. Love doesn't allow it. The point is that the debt of love is an unlimited debt. Our love account is never paid up. It's something we pay into day by day, but we never cancel our debt of love owed to our fellow man. It's a debt that we pay daily, 
and always all. That's Paul's point here. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. And when Paul talks about love, he gets specific with it. And he directs our attention to the law of Moses, to that which was handed down on Mount Sinai. And um, it is certain that there were in the hearing of those to whom Paul writes, um, Jewish religious elements that are beating Gentile Christians over the head with the Ten Commandments and using the Ten Commandments as a whipping rod to point out to the Gentiles the things that they are not doing. And Paul takes sides against those using the commandments to force what cannot be forced. He goes on to indicate that the commandments of the second table of the Decalogue, the interrelational one. The first four are vertical. The last six are horizontal. Paul takes those horizontal commandments and sums them up under one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. It's sometimes argued that, well, what this indicates is that you can't love your neighbor until you love yourself. And that is arguable, but I don't think it's what he has in mind. The fact is you do love yourself. And therefore, because you love yourself, love your neighbor. And you say, well, Mike, I really don't. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because when the Bible talks about love, it's not, again, it's not caressing yourself. It's taking care of yourself. This morning, you clothed yourself. And you fed yourself. You slept last night so that you could care for your body. You took medicines this morning. You took pills in order that you could care for this, care for yourself. And when the Bible talks about love, it's, that's really what it's pointing at. And because we love ourselves, what it's saying, love others. Um, it says love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Um, when we think about what love is, I think about when I was in seminary, I worked at Denver State Hospital. It's a mental health facility, and it was functioning when deinstitutionalization was happening. And what they decided at that point was that there were too many people in institutions, and they needed to be released. They needed to be released. And I think of two guys, Dave and Alex. Um, I knew Alex because he was a couple years ahead of me in school. He was... I think six, seven, six, eight, an amazing basketball player. Amazing basketball player. He had mental issues that developed, and he ended up at Denver State Hospital, and during deinstitutionalization, they let him out. And he wandered along the streets of our city and always befuddled. And, um, and the reason why you knew he had a problem is his hair was unkempt. He wasn't putting himself in a position that he could care for himself effectively. He would shuffle around the city, and it was obvious when you saw him. That guy is a problem. He doesn't love himself. Again, we might not have said that, but he didn't care for himself. Remember Dave, first day on in the unit, and, and so I walk in there, and Dave says, You're holy, I'm not holy. Okay. 
I said, how did you know? <laughs> I was in seminary at the time. So, yeah, come on, give it to him. Give it to him. I got to know Dave. And then what they did, they let him out. And every time they let him out, he'd drink a quantity of bleach. And the thing you know about that, there's a guy who, his, his issue wasn't that he didn't see himself as holy, he didn't love himself. And that's, and that's the kind of love that Paul is speaking about here. It's not the love that's expressed by emotion. It's expressed by caring. The kind of thing that Dave and Alec couldn't do for themselves. That's what Paul thinks about. Love does no harm to its neighbor. When we think about obedience, we're talking about love. Talk about this kind of love. Let's dig a little deeper, see if we can clarify some things about Christian love. Try to understand some things about Christian love. When it says love your neighbor, what is it saying? What is it telling us to do? Have nice feelings? We really got to figure this out, don't we? Because we're talking about obedience. Obedience. Obedience matters. So we have to clarify what is it that he wants us to do. Does God want us to have nice feelings about everything? About ISIS? Have nice feelings. Is that what he's saying? Those in ISIS are part of our fellow men. You say, oh, they don't. Listen to what it says. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Would you consider ISIS an enemy? They walk in here. They consider us an enemy. Biblically, it says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, it's in your, this is in your sheet. You see, look what it says. Let's read this together. I'll read it, but you follow along. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? A unique feature of Christian love is its latitude, is its breadth, not its depth. The distinguishing feature of Christian love is its width, its breadth. How many people it incorporates, not necessarily depth, it's about deep love. Deep love that is not wide love, is not Christian love. Christian love is to embrace enemies, persecute. C.S. Lewis talked about the phenomena of the inner ring. And what he's describing is the tendency we have to make the inner ring of us smaller and the outer ring of them larger. Us versus them. And we connect with us. And it's easy to love us because we're comfortable with each other. We like each other. It's easy to love likable. And the phenomena of the inner ring seems to be that the circle of us gets smaller, tends to, and the circle of them gets bigger. And the interesting thing about Christian love, it is to extend to them. 
it extends to them. Um, God calls us to love them. Who are your them? You have them. There's people in your minds that are them. I'm not sure who they are. Pagans don't love them. We are to love them. Whoever them is. Like what it says in Frederick Buchner. It's in your worship folder on the back side. The love for equals. I really like this. The love for equals is a human thing. Of friend for friend. Brother for brother. It is to love what is loving and lovely. The world smiles. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely. This is compassion. And it touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail. To rejoice without envy with those who rejoice. The love of the poor for the rich. Of the black man for the white man. The world is always bewildered by its saints. And then there is the love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you, but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torturer. This is God's love. It conquers the world. It says, it says on the other side, First John 3, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Uh, the command to love is not a command to feel a certain way. It's a command to respond in a certain way. It's not a command to feel. We're not to love with words or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Um, love is the yardstick God measures us we know that. If God's going to address our spirituality, if he's going to measure it, again, we're not talking about sin here. We're talking about the measurement of maturity. God's going to take his love yardstick out. And it's not just love for those easy to love. That is the yardstick by which we are measured. Um, the early church was known for its love. The early church was populated by the poor, the dispossessed. They formed communities, and they were aggressive and loving. Um, voluntary gifts were brought, usually during worship. They were administered and distributed by the leaders, uh, provided welfare for the poor, sick, orphans, widows, those in prison, the needy, the aged, 
the early church was comprised of lower classes. They did not have political and economic power. They couldn't lobby. They couldn't change laws. What they could do was roll up their sleeve and love people that others had no room or space or breadth to love. And this was the reason for the unexpected success of Christianity. Christians expended themselves in works of mercy that literally dumbfounded the pagans. Um, the early church believed that God loved humanity. In order to love God back, one was to love others. That's what they believed. God loves everybody. And so if we're going to be like God and God loves everybody, we've got to love everybody. And that's not to feel good about them, but that's to roll up your sleeves. And when there was the plague of Cyprian, it was taking a thousand people a day. They rolled up their sleeves and went into the plague-infested areas when all the doctors would leave. And they rolled up their sleeves and went in. Some lost their lives. Some developed immunity. But what ended up happening is uh, people looked at that. They understood that God did not demand ritual sacrifices. That's what the early church understood. God doesn't want us to try hard to be really spiritual. God wants us to love people. And they did. And, um, and what ended up happening in some circles, I would imagine, I'm reading between the lines. When Christians dragged themselves back from ministering to the poor, it might have been on a Sunday, they were carrying blood-soaked rags. And I bet you some people threw penalty flags at them, like will happen today in the games. Penalty flag. You're, you're working on Sunday. Throw the flag. And they didn't know, so the... Old Testament of the Bible talks about keep holy the Sabbath. And they might have been confused about that. Geez, is it okay? I I was just going to go down to help to feed those people, but I'm carrying food, and I guess I'm not supposed to work on Sunday. It's the same thing Jesus was flagged for, right? Healing on the Sabbath, providing this on the Sabbath, and people threw flags. But there's real rules here. There's real rules that seem to say, don't do that. And so I imagine the Gentiles are confused because people are throwing penalty flags and these people know the law. They know the rules. They know the penalties. Or they think they know them until Paul said, listen, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Everything that the Old Testament points to is summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Keep it up. Keep it up. Don't worry about carrying something on a Sunday or a Saturday. I think that's what's happening. Um, he says, love is the yardstick you should measure yourselves by. God's not going to measure your spirituality by if you did or didn't mow your lawn on Sunday. And if it's not in love, how much you give? How many verses you remember? often you pray. That's how well you love. We do we do love in different ways. We're gifted to do love in different ways. Some of you are great with hospitality, and that's how you demonstrate love. Some of you are great at encouraging. Some of you are really good at praying. Faith, teaching. We express love different ways, but that is, and so we don't all use the same love language. We have different love languages. That's good. Because if we all love the same way, it would be a pretty boring place. But we love differently. But we all love. And we don't just love us. We love 
supposed to love? Them. Them. Paul says, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our heart condemns us. God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. I think the reason why this is in there, they were, because these penalty flags are being thrown, they are wondering, they feel unrested by that. They said, I, 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 I thought I was doing a good thing. It feels like a Jesus thing, but maybe it isn't. And Paul says, let me put your heart at rest. Let me put your heart at rest. God knows everything. What he understands is that love is the yardstick. You keep on doing what you're doing. And when somebody throws a penalty flag at you for carrying something or doing some violation of some minute law, smile at them, but just understand that your God in heaven is really good at loving the unlovely. You keep it up. You keep it up. You just smile at them. God bless you. And you go on and do what you what you need to do. Don't let them stop you. I think that's what's happening. That's the standard of love. Standard of love addresses the what question. Let's move on to another question. Difficult question. How question. How in the world do you love an enemy? Um, first, we have to understand what love is. I'm talking about nice feeling. Um, it's talking about care. talked to a woman this past week, not in this church, I know, from elsewhere, married to a very abusive man, terrible man, and she hung in there for the kids until such time that he threatened to kill her, and he was sent away for a little bit, but then released, he was sick and a person that should have been in an institution that wasn't. And he was let out. And he lived by himself in an apartment, and his family had resources, but no time, certainly no time to go by to clean things up a little bit or provide a meal. And this woman did that a year, and then two years, three years, asked her why. She said, actually, you know what that's called? Did she like this person? Hated what he did to the kids. She was in a position to be able to feed him and clothe him. Tell you what, God looked down and said, well done. Didn't let him abuse her. He drew a line that when she could do some things, she did them. Um, says God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There's no fear in love. The perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. 
one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. By loving, love is made complete. Um, again, in measuring spirituality, check the right gauge. Check the right gauge. On your instrument panel, when you're trying to put your finger on your spiritual pulse, do you ever do that? Let me see. How many verses do I know today? Again, know the verses. Know the verses. But it's why you're going to know the verses. Pray the prayers, but it's why you're going to pray the prayers. So that it will lead to the ability to express love. And, um, God is love in this world. Those who love are like him. Um, Jews were known for their love. They were very loving people. They were, they were very much, very giving, very loving. Interestingly, their love was not as broad. Their neighbor was not someone like a Samaritan. The neighbor was one of us. Somebody with whom we're comfortable. Christian love extends to them, not just to us. There was the silver rule that the, that many religious and it was notable. Uh, Rabbi Hillel said, what is hateful to yourself, do to no other. And that's what love meant. Don't do anything hateful to somebody. When they passed on the other side of the Samaritan, they didn't spit at him. They didn't trash talk him. They didn't say anything to him. They didn't do what was hateful to him. And that's what it meant to love if you were a Jew in the first century. Don't do anything hateful to them. And then Jesus took that and he said, do it to others as you would have them do to you. And what we would want is not just for people to not hate us, but to love us. Do that to them. Love this deep and broad. Oh, I think we know this. I'm going to say something. But it's really important because it gets to the whole thing about obedience. Would you agree with me? Love this deep and broad cannot be driven by fear. Can we agree on that? This kind of love cannot be driven by fear. You hang the mantle of judgment over somebody's head, you are not going to get them to do this. And you know what God's going to measure our lives by? This. That's why he doesn't use fear to get us to obey. It doesn't do what it needs to do. It doesn't produce what it needs to produce. Deep and wide love. Well, look what it says. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. Christian love cannot be rooted in the fear of judgment. Christian love cannot be rooted in the fear of judgment. Christian love cannot be rooted in the fear of judgment. So, if we're going to move towards obedience, what do we have to get rid of? What do we have to get rid of? The fear of what? The fear of judgment. Have to. Because the fear of judgment will not produce the thing that God measures our life by. The fear of judgment impedes the exercise of love. We love because he first loved us. Love begets love. If you fear God's judgment to that degree, you cannot keep the commandments. 
If you fear God's judgment, you can't keep the commandments. Because you know what the commandments are summed up in? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what they're summed up by. The commandments are summed up by love your neighbor as yourself. And the Christian application of this command cannot be rooted in fear. Look what it says, John 15, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete, may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You know what I want you to do? Here's what everybody, I want you to remain over here. No? Okay. Remain over here. You're not doing anything. Remain over here. Why can't you remain in here? Because you're not here to begin with. You know why Jesus says, remain in my love? Because they knew they were in it. You can't remain in a place that you don't already exist in. Jesus says, remain in my love. And do you know why that had teeth? People look at this. And he says, if you don't keep the commands, you won't remain in my love. And it's like, oh, I got to love or I'll be kicked out. And that's not, I don't think that's the point. You know the point is? This had teeth because they knew he loved them. And they wanted to stay there. Right? So he says, if you love one another, you remain in my love. And what they said, that's where I want to stay in his love. That's where I want to stay. And so love begets love. We have to experience love in order to express it. Experience love and express it. If you fear in God's judgment, you have more to learn about his love. If you fear God, again, we all deal with this. So when I put up this mantle about don't be afraid of judgment, I'm not saying dismiss it easily. Because all you have to do is turn on Christian radio for 10 minutes and you'll get a dose of it. What I'm saying is that it doesn't work. It doesn't produce it. It produces nice Christian gatherings, perhaps. Not the kind of love that he asks of us. Not love for... Um, If law is the basis of judgment, it can't be the basis of love. That's where we end with, and you know this, you can't legislate love. You can't legislate love. What ended up happening um, when Christians went about ministering to the sick and helping the poor, the widow, the crippled, the blind, the aged, their care was so extensive, I told you this, that Emperor Julian said, oh boy, you know what, we're going to do that. We're going to do that to the Roman Empire. And they just tried to put that into effect. You get the Roman people and they tax deferments and stuff like this. Guess how that worked? It didn't work at all. Um, it failed because for Christians, it was love, not duty, that motivated them. People of the Roman Empire were forced to admire their works and dedication, and this is what the people of the Roman Empire said. Look how they love one another. And that was heard on the street. And it's something that can't be legislated. Look what it says in the last verse. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. 
idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those first list of qualities, those things that our lives are not to be characterized by. Somebody tell me what each of those things, what all of them have in common? They are harmful. Very interesting. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they write down a fourth step, which is a listing of resentments, fears, and sexual acting out. I listened to another one last night. And what they do in that fifth step, very often, when they're talking about sexual indiscretions, which are very difficult for people, it's always the ones people do last. They talk about resentments, usually, and then fears, and then sexual conduct. But sexual conduct is the tough one. And they have a, they have a question in this. With respect, when they take the sexual inventory, who did you harm? Who did you harm? Sexual immorality is not loving, it's taking. That's what the person last night said. And when they got to this place, they said, I don't know even how to get into it. They said, just trust. Just trust. And said, I I didn't care about this person. I used this person and this person and this person and this person in order to just get my sexual jollies. Look back on the harm that we've done. Didn't really care about them. It wasn't loving. And he understood it. It was taken. And now in retrospect, he looked back on it and feels so ashamed. But what I indicated when we do that, that's what is the fifth step. What was the nature of your wrong? What was the nature of your wrong? I did a bad thing. Not clear enough. What is the nature of your wrong? Very inconsiderate. Wish you would. Very selfish. Yep, got that. And then where the fifth step goes to, and this is what it says. I am willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. It goes to a place where you put all of who you are into a basket. We have a tendency to separate out lights and darks. I never commit adultery. Check. I never steal. Check. I'm better than them. And so we put the lights and the darks. Some of us, we keep the lights and give God the darks. They take these away. Some of us, we keep the darks and give God the lights. And you know what we're supposed to do? Put them all in a basket. Not separating them out and giving to him. And this is where the fifth step, the, the, the seventh step prayer says, My creator, I'm willing, you should have all of me, good and bad. 
I ask that you would now remove everything that stands in the way of my... Anybody know the word? Everything that stands in the way of my... Let me hear it. Usefulness. Usefulness. It's not holiness. It is true. Usefulness. Not happiness. Would you agree with me that the defects of character that stand in the way of usefulness and the defects of character that stand in the way of happiness are not the same list? Would you agree with me? There might be some overlap there. The defects of character that stand in the way of usefulness, inconsideration, selfishness, dishonesty, self-centeredness, defects of character that stand in the way of Happiness, those are different. And so that's where it says, God, I'm willing you should have all of me. Not darts or lights, all of me. Remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness. There's some wisdom there. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What does that mean? Against such things there is no law. Isn't that a weird statement? All these good things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against those things. I think he means two things. He means two things. If you're doing these things and somebody throws a penalty flag that you're carrying a blood-soaked bandage on Sunday, say, you can pick up your flag and put it, okay, don't be like this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You can pick up your flag. Put it back in your pocket. <laughs> Sometimes love is very direct. Sometimes love is not smiley, is it? In fact, sometimes love is so loving that it creates hard feelings. We said if Jesus loved in the manner that we normally think of love, this is really good, but the book Bold Love by Allender. If Jesus loved the way we often think of love, he would have lived to have been a ripe old age. Think about that. He would have lived to have been a ripe old age. He never would have offended anybody. Jesus deeply offended some people because he called their selfishness. He said, that's not my father. It's not those who represent him. It could mean that. You know what I think it might mean as well? Not, it's, so if somebody throws a penalty flag, I think it's, it's you know, those things are against the law. I think what it also means is those things are out of the realm of law. You can't legislate law. I think that's what it could mean because the word against could also mean in relation to. I'm going to ask the worship team, come on up. And I'm going to read this quote. Um, this one guy who I think puts this in a very interesting, very interesting way. Um, this is what he says. A vine, with respect to the fruit of the Spirit, a vine does not produce grapes by an act of parliament. They are the fruit of the vine's own life. So the conduct which conforms to the standard of the kingdom is not produced by any demand not even God's, but is the fruit of that divine nature 
which God gives as the result of what he has done in and by Christ. You can't legislate love. Love begets love. Of course, uh, God, thank you for the word and for being loving. We love without breaking a sweat. It's not as easy for us. We understand that that's your nature, and as we experience it, you move us in that direction. Love like you do. And again, we'll never do that perfectly, but I pray that you would enable us to be more like Christ. For this food that we're going to experience, those who are going to be able to stick around, thanks for providing it. Thanks for the people who work to put it on plates before us. I pray that we'd be able to sit, eat with one another, Fellowship. Thanks for this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Again, hang around. If you can pay, can't pay, that doesn't matter. Just hang around. Let's have some pancakes and sausages. Leave some for me. Go New England.